All right, welcome to Seacoast. My name is Josh Walters. I'm one of the pastors here at the church. So glad that you are here to worship with us this weekend. I wanna welcome you if you're joining us online or in one of the venues here at the Mount Pleasant campus or at an offsite campus, wherever you happen to be. We are glad that you are here as well. Hey, I wanna start off today giving a special shout out to one team in particular. Seacoast as a church is one of about 15,000 people across 12 campuses in 12 different cities. And without this team, our ministry would be limited to about 3,000 people here at this one campus. Which team am I talking about? It is our tech team. Every single weekend, these folks are the first ones to get here, often the last ones to leave, and they are hard at work all weekend long across all 12 of our campuses, sitting behind computers and soundboards, light boards running, cameras. So why don't you join me here in Mount Pleasant across all of our campuses. Turn around to them, let them know how thankful we are for them. We love you guys, so thankful for you. You know, oftentimes the tech team can be the hardest to recruit for because they're back there all weekend long doing the work. So know that uh, whatever campus you might be at, if you are gifted when it comes to sound, audio, lighting, video, whatever it might be, or if you're just passionate, man, they can teach you. You can make note of that on your Connect card and they will get you hooked up. Hey, last week we kicked off a new Christmas series called Regift. How many of you were familiar with the concept as we got going, hands, got a couple confident hands. That's what I'm talking about, people. Yes, I know exactly what that is. And for some of you, it's kind of a casual thing. Maybe every now and then you get something that you don't want, don't need, maybe you had too many of already, and so it sits on the dresser, and you're like, oh, I could take that to that work thing. That would work out well. So for some of you, it's casual, but for some of you, it is a critical necessity, maybe even a strategic part of your life. And that would be the camp that I fall in. Well, what do you mean, Pastor Josh? What does that look like? So we have five kids, and they have lived a sum total of 40 human years, which means they have had 40 birthdays over the last 12 years. And let's say on average, each kid got six gifts, which would be very conservative. It's usually more than that. That would be 240 gifts over the last 12 years, way more than any family needs. And if any of you are from a large family, you know that you don't really own anything that's just yours. You share everything, you know? So there's gifts all over the house. So at every birthday party, I have two very important jobs. The first of which is carefully eyeing any gifts that come in a gift bag. And as kids are ripping through the presents, uh, as soon as they take it out of a bag, I carefully remove the bag. One, see if it's got any names written on it. If it does, I can't use it. Or two, see if it's too wrinkly. If it's too wrinkly used up, you can't reuse it. But if the bag's in good condition, then it gets set to the side. And I put your gift in it and then bring it to you. So first you could re-gift the bag. The second thing that I do is I'm watching to see which gifts the kids are really excited about. When the party's over, I take all the gifts and I put them in the back of daddy's car. And then when I get home, uh, I separate them in two. And there's one stack of gifts that make their way inside. I'd be sure to include the gifts that the kids are really excited about because they're gonna be looking for them. But there's another stack of gifts in the back of the car that make it into the garage and find their way into daddy's special tub. <laughs> Sounds exciting, right? Well, up in our garage, we've got these three shelves mounted above the garage door full of 10, 15, 20 clear tubs with things like Christmas decorations, Thanksgiving decorations, uh, Katie's summer shoes, which transform themselves into Katie's winter shoes at some point because they all don't fit in the closet, a little bit of an issue there. We've got a special papers tub. As kids go to the next grade, we keep back special papers from the previous year. But then at the far end of all of that are daddy's special tubs, and here's how they work. Some of you might be thinking, oh, well, that's, 
That's smart, so that later in the year, once their gifts kind of wear out, you can bring out the other gifts. No, no, these are the gifts for your children. Uh, when they get invited to a birthday party, and Katie says, hey, Jay, Jay, we need a, a gift for a five-year-old boy. What she's thinking is, would you run to Target or Walmart and get something? What I'm thinking is, pull out Daddy's special tub and see what we have. I say, okay, babe, do they like stuffed animals? Do they like books? Do they like books that coordinate with stuffed animals? We could do that, you know? Or it could be two gifts. We might could stretch it. Do they like cars? Is it summertime? We've got a car slip and slide. Wouldn't that be good? Now, for some of you, you could leave church right now. In Jesus' name, this is a Dave Ramsey FPU-approved financial <laughs> blessing. <laughs> and this is gonna change your life. You're thinking like, babe, we're starting that today. Like, that is awesome. While some of you are thinking like, I am gonna call DSS, I cannot believe a man would steal his children's gifts. <laughs> it's a lesson on taxes. I'm trying to teach my children <laughs> how life works, okay? <laughs> yes, those were all yours, but I'm taking some of them. <laughs> it's a daddy tax. <laughs> if you want the cake and the ice cream, it's gonna cost you, that's just the deal. So the premise of this series, Regifting, we all understand what it looks like casually or practically in our own lives, is that God has given each of us gifts and that the best gifts are worth giving again. Last week, Pastor Josh talked about what it would look like for us to regift hope to a world that so desperately needs it, and today we're gonna be talking about joy. But before we do that, why don't you join me? Let's take just a minute and pray. God, we thank you so much for a church where we can come together and worship you, spend time in your word, and just have a good time laughing and cutting up together. We pray that you would be present with us today, that your word were not, would not return void. And as we look through scripture, God, that it would reap a harvest of joy in our lives. Wherever we might be today, God, may we encounter you and come away changed because of it. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, I got a question for you as we start off. How many of you would say that you've experienced a time in your life when you have lost your joy? You've lost your joy. We all have in some way or another. A lot of you didn't raise your hands. We know that you're not lying, you're just lazy. We've all lost joy at some point, I'm just kidding, some point in our lives. First story that comes to mind for me is when our son Asher was born. He was our fourth child, and up to that point, our first three had been born somewhere between four and six weeks early and had sent, spent a significant amount of time in the, in the NICU. Uh, but when Asher was born, things were different. Man, he, uh, he passed the nurse's test, you know, comes out and smack his feet and all, this, all the tests that looked, looked good. They brought him back to us all wrapped up and we got to uh, feed him and hold him and hang out with him for a little while. And there came a point when the nurses said, well, hey, we're gonna go ahead and take him and go give him his, his first bath. It was about 10 o'clock at night. So I was thinking, man, y'all do that. That'd be great. And this is a little time out for, I, I don't understand the families who have a baby and then say like, could you bring him back as soon as you finish? I'm like, you're about to have him for 18 years. You know what I'm saying? And the food isn't good, the bed's uncomfortable, at least they offer childcare. My goodness, please, <laughs> bathe him and keep him. Get to know him, you know. Bring him back when it's time to eat, but until then, you know, be blessed. And so, anyway, I said, please, take him. By all means, bathe him, keep him. We're gonna get some sleep. That'll be great. Well, about an hour passes, and the, the nurses come back kind of frantic, and they're saying, hey, Asher took a turn while we were bathing him. We noticed some things, did some tests. His oxygen saturation had plummeted and we, we don't have the ability to best care for him here at this hospital. We had to transfer him to MUSC. What? 
thinking at this point, like I couldn't even pick them out of a baby lineup. Like they all look the same. This is how people lose their kid. You did what, you know? They're saying, and it's, it's a couple hours after delivery now. Katie's epidural is wearing off. She's starting to feel some pain. The easiest way for you to get down there is gonna be for us to discharge you and then you be readmitted when you, when you get down there. And so they hand us paper prescriptions for pain meds. And I'm thinking like, she just had a baby. Can you like shoot something in her? Like before we leave? Like what, what in the world? But in a moment, I'm telling you, it was like incredible joy, peace, just all the happy feelings that was gone in a moment. Have you ever had a situation like that? You know, maybe it was something like Asher that you were anticipating, something that you pursued, you experienced great joy, or maybe it was just your average Tuesday. You get up in the morning and things seem to be going well, but then you swing through Starbucks and they didn't put the lid on all the way. So you end up wearing your coffee, you know? There ain't nothing more maddening. You know what I'm talking about. You get pulled over, you get in an accident, one of your kids spits up on you, or you realize they got out of the house without shoes. You know, the list goes on and on and on. Things seemed fine, but in a moment, your joy is just gone. Just this week, I was talking with a friend in Starbucks, hadn't seen him in a while, said, hey, how you doing? He said, I'm doing all right. He said, I've been feeling a little down. I don't know what it is. You know, he's a real motivated, just go-getter kind of guy, and he was like, I think it, maybe it's daylight savings time, I don't know. But come seven o'clock, man, it feels like 10 o'clock and I've just been lacking in motivation, just feeling down. You know, maybe it's seasonal, maybe it's Christmas time right now and you're just not feeling it. You hear the music, you sing the songs, you see the decorations, but you're just saying, I don't have the joy. I got the joy, 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 joy. <laughs> I didn't plan on saying that, but it came to mind, so I figured I'd sing it. <laughs> you don't have it down in your heart. That's the point I'm trying to make here. Well, what if I told you that you had access as believers to a lasting joy. One that wasn't circumstantial, that regardless of what was happening outside of you, regardless of what you were going through or experiencing or feeling in life, that you could have a true lasting joy within you. One that after receiving it could be sustained and ultimately be re-gifted, that you could give that to others. What would that look like? Well, that's what we're gonna talk about today. The first of which is there on your outline. How can I have lasting joy? First way is we've gotta look at where we receive it. And we receive it through the gift of salvation. Through the gift of salvation. Luke 2, eight through 11 says it this way. And there were shepherds living out in the field nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I want us to look at both the, the words he used and the order of them here. He said, I bring you so from heaven to earth, this angel has come with a message. I bring you good news. Man, any other time you hear good news, it puts a smile on your face, a pep in your step. You're on the edge of your seat excited. What's he got? I bring you from heaven to you good news that will cause great joy. The outcome of this good news is great joy for all the people. And that language there, all the people, literally means individually for every people group. So for all people in every tribe and tongue, wherever you're from, whatever you've done, this is something we got for everybody, that it's gonna cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. As I was putting together the outline, I struggled some in even using the word salvation. It is a, a churchy word that you don't really hear anywhere else, probably one that you don't use. The angel announced to them that a savior had been born, one who would, who would save the people from the consequences of their sin. 
Culturally, we, we have a hard time even relating to that. What does it feel like to need to be saved, to be so helpless, so powerless that someone else has to come to your rescue? I was reminded of about a year ago, uh, a father and his two sons and one of their buddies were attending here at the Mount Pleasant campus on a Saturday night. And just a few days before, they had been a couple miles offshore deep sea fishing when their boat began to take on water. And after a little bit of time, it had capsized. And the father and these three boys were clinging to a Yeti cooler. One hour turned into a couple hours, turned into over 24 hours at open sea. Sharks were swimming around them, glowing fish throughout the middle of the night. Can you imagine the terror they must have been feeling? Father thinking, is anything gonna happen? Who's gonna save us? Are we gonna live? Are we gonna make it? They had to be saved, and they were, incredibly. Actually, the father of the buddy was here last night at the Saturday night service. He walked to me, his face was all red. You could tell he was been crying. I didn't feel like the message had been that good. I'm thinking, praise God, it ministered to somebody. You know, good. <laughs> he said, hey, I'm the father of, of the friend. You know, and it took him back to, man, just how desperate he was that his boy would be saved, and he was. Well, spiritually speaking, this is what the Bible talks about us. Our sin had separated us from God, created a gap that's one that we couldn't push our way through, we couldn't climb through or jump over. Our sin had separated us from God. But God, in his incredible love for you and me, sent his son to die on the cross for our sin. He who was without sin became sin. He took our sin upon himself, paid the price for our sin that we might become the righteousness of God. He conquered the grave, conquering sin that we could have a relationship with God. See, culture would love for us to believe that joy is something that we could go and, and pick up at the department store. How many of you have, have been in a Lowe's anytime in the last few weeks? Here in Charleston area, Columbia, Irmo, no different. I walked in Lowe's, they have this, this massive sign, just says joy, 10, 12, 15, massive sign, huge. I took a picture of it to show it to you. Look at that, right in front of the store. I thought, man, I'm speaking on joy, that'd be cool. I can get that thing, put it on the stage, nice little backdrop, maybe people could connect visually what we're talking about here. Excuse me, hey, how, could you tell me how much that is? $1,200. So you can keep your joy. <laughs> Steal my joy, just mad you even said that. $1,200, you know. They're gonna have a sale after the holidays. <laughs> you can get joy at a better price. You can keep that joy. <laughs> Incredible. Go to the town center. That's a big shopping center here in Mount Pleasant. And right as you're pulling in, same deal, 15, 20 feet long. It glows at night. Took a picture of that for you. Look at that, isn't that beautiful? Big old, they want you to think, hey, you better come to the town center and get you some joy. Walking through the Gap, go to Barnes & Noble, go to Penny's, take a stroll through Belt, you can pick it up right here at the town center. And if you don't think you can buy it, at least have it while you shop, why? Because joyful people are generous. Come on somebody, be joyful, you know? They want you to think that you can just go and buy it, that stuff would somehow bring it to you, but it is just not the case. For any of you that have ever sought after joy, you've heard me talk about our dog. Man, we thought it would bring joy. Now utter despair. <laughs> and I'm stuck. I'm stuck, you know? Any, any other thing that we pursue to bring about joy in our life in some amount of time proves itself empty. The only source of lasting joy is the gift of salvation. Upon receiving that gift of salvation, the Bible tells us that we're given the presence of the Holy Spirit. The presence of the Holy Spirit, Galatians 5, and 23 says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, 
peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The Bible talks about God being a vine and we are the branch. And if I remain in him, if I stay connected to him, then I will bear much fruit. In fact, scripture says, apart from him, we can do nothing. You can't, you can't manufacture joy. You can't fake it till you make it. Man, you can put a smile on your face all day long and have an emptiness in your heart because it's a void that only the presence of God can fill. But as we stay connected to him, the fruit of the spirit in our life, what he produces in us is joy. When we receive that free gift of salvation and we're given his spirit, Bible tells us, as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come, that it's sealed in us until the day of redemption, that his son is coming back and when he does, he's gonna see children of God, men and women who have been given his Holy Spirit, that it's been sealed in them as a deposit of him saying, hey, I'm coming back for you. He produces joy in our life. Now, if your life is anything like mine, we can... We can begin to, to understand that, but it seems like the million dollar question then is what happens on the days like the one where Asher was born? Or in the seasons where you're just feeling down, where you don't have joy, when you've spilled the coffee on yourself and the day is going downhill. If we're supposed to be a people who look different, as people evaluate and examine our lives, they would say, man, there's something about him or her. I see the joy of the Lord in them, the million dollar question then is, how do we sustain joy through the circumstances of life? What does that look like? Well, there's a, a bunch of answers to that question, and, and looking through scripture, I found seven things, seven attitudes, behaviors in which their outcome is joy. I wanna read through those pretty quickly, and um, for each of you, my prayer would be that one or two of these would be for you. As I talk through them, I'm gonna come back and share the two that I feel like God's calling me to be attentive to. I don't feel, one, that this is an exhaustive list by any means. There's other place that joy has, is mentioned in scripture and I don't believe that all of them are for you. So just pray as we're reading through them, God, what do you have for me here in this list? The first of which, first way that we can sustain joy is by finding a great model. There in that passage in 1 Thessalonians, Paul celebrates the Thessalonians for imitating him for doing what he did, for doing what God did in a tough season in their life, that their joy would be sustained. So when we're finding a great model. Secondly, by keeping the right perspective. Keeping the right perspective. That Philippians passage ends, ends with saying, the Lord is near. Man, oftentimes we don't live our lives like that. He is so much closer to us than we like to believe that he is. We can sustain our joy by facing our trials. James says, consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds. Difficult for us at times, but if we will, it will sustain our joy. We can sustain it by counting our blessings. Man, it's so easy to overlook the simple blessings, like you got up out of bed this morning and your body did what your brain told it to. You, know? you woke up in a home where you were comfortable, most of you anyway, I like it cold, but my wife likes it hot. So I wake up hot most days, a little aggravated, but it was in a home that I love, you know? Put on clothes that I like to come to a church that I get to be a part of. Could go on and on and on. You could count your blessings, as Psalms say, that you might be filled with joy. There on the back of your outline. By walking in obedience. Walking in obedience. John says at the end of that passage that your joy may be complete. Are there any areas of your life where you would say your joy is not complete? 
areas where it's not full. And my question for you is, could that be because there's areas of your lives where you're not walking in obedience? In your marriage, in your finances, in your relationships? As you, if you were to measure the joy, you were like, ah, oh, it's just lacking. Has God been calling you to do anything in those areas that you've maybe been ignoring or avoiding or managing? telling yourself you'll get to, maybe your intentions are pure, but you're just busy and you know it's gonna take some hard work and conversation. Man, if you will respond in obedience to him, the outcome of it is that your joy might be full, that it might be complete. By maintaining focus, Hebrews 12, one and two, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Man, of all the words that I would use to describe what Jesus went through on the cross, that is not one that I would pick. How? How did he have joy as he faced the cross? I believe it was because he maintained focus. He had vision. He knew that he was sent here by the Father to save his children. That God's desire is that none of his children would perish. So Jesus took our sin upon himself to die. He knew that by facing the cross, he would go to the grave, conquering sin that all of us might have a relationship with God. He maintained focus. Are there any areas that God might be calling you to come back to fixing your eyes upon him, to maintain focus? It will reap a harvest of joy in your life. By praying expectantly. John 16, 24. Until now you've asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. The context of this passage, Jesus has been with the disciples all along up to this point. He's about to go back to the Father and he's telling them, you're about to experience a season of grief but it will reap a harvest of joy. You've never asked for anything in my name, but because I am at the right hand of the Father, if you pray in my name, your joy will be full. Whatever you ask, I will give you. You know, across all of our campuses, as you came in today, there was this Christmas Eve invite card on your seat. What if as we approached Christmas Eve services at Seacoast, you began asking God, okay God, who would you have me pray for, and more importantly, who would you have me invite to Christmas Eve at Seacoast? What if this was the year that it changed everything in their lives? One of my favorite quotes in regards to prayer is by Margaret Silf. She says, the future is not some place that we are going to, but one that we are creating. What if you were to pray into someone's future that this Christmas Eve would be one of destiny for them? That it would change everything about their lives? And this invite is a small tool that you can use. For each of our campuses, it lays out service times, location, information. You can say, hey, you can come with me. It might just change their life. You know, as I looked through this list, I felt like God had a little something for each of me in them, but the two that stand out the most is the first one and the third one. Finding a great model and facing your trials. Finding a great model and facing your trials. First Thessalonians 1.6, going back to that, Paul said, you became imitators of us and the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with joy given by the Holy Spirit. The Thessalonians were in a season of intense suffering, yet they received, they welcomed the message with great joy. I think this one stuck out to me the most because oftentimes for each of us, what's so great about a model is that they allow for movement. If you're in a season of your life where you're feeling stuck, where you're questioning like, I don't know what step to take next. I don't know what I'm gonna do. Man, if you read God's word and look for a model, they can give you vision as to what you're supposed to do next. That's one of the things that I love about Rico and Barbara's story. Man, they lived like no one else so that they could live like no one else. $240,000 of debt. Can you imagine that gorilla sitting on your chest? <laughs> it's an animal. But they walked that road. 
If you were in the midst of financial struggle at the Irmo campus, man, I'd be talking to, to Barbara and Rico to say, where did you start? What do I do? How do we do that? Because if you're feeling stuck, if you're feeling like you've lost joy, man, they would provide a great map. In your marriage, if you're in a season where you feel like, man, we've just lost the fun and flirty. Like, I read scripture, I know husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and give yourselves up for her. I see there's some areas where I could give myself up for her. I'm, I'm trying to do the stuff it tells me to do, but I'm not feeling the joy. Man, maybe there's some couples around you that when you look at their marriage, you think, gosh, I wish we had that. I wish we could get back to that place. But the good news for you is that God is not wanting you to get back to that place. He's inviting you to a new place. But it's gonna require you humbling yourselves, being honest about, hey, this is where I'm at in my marriage, in my finances, in my personal life, and finding a model. And if you will, man, they will lead you to a path of life. That was the first one I felt like God's really calling me to be attentive to. The second is the, or the second thing for me anyway, is facing your trials. James 1, 2, and 3 said, consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. That passage goes on to say, and perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Man, I don't know about you, but when I face trials, my, my most natural tendency is to turn from them. If I can ignore it, avoid it, there is way more good stuff going on, way more things that are life-giving and exciting and positive, but to have to face my trials, man, these are difficult conversations. These are difficult areas of obedience. These are hard things that I don't know how to solve or resolve or have answers to. <clears throat> but for each of us, as a son or daughter of God, you can be certain, God's never woke up and a day been like, man, I didn't see that happening to him today. I did not expect that to happen to her. The events and circumstances of your life have been sifted through his hands. And when a trial comes about in your life, man, it is a golden opportunity for you to turn to it and say, okay, God, what do you have for me here? He's either gonna show up in some miraculous way or he's gonna use that very thing that you wanted to turn your back on to mold and shape you into the man or woman that he's called you to be. You can consider it pure joy only when you face your trials. And if you don't face it, it's gonna keep you up at night. It's gonna bring about reflux. You're gonna be having to take Tums, which are nasty. <laughs> it's gonna rob you of joy just because you're trying to avoid it. But if you will face it, you can consider it joy because God has gold for you in it. What one of these, what two of these might God be calling you to be attentive to this Christmas season? His desire for you is that your joy would be full. Not just in an area or a couple areas of your life, but in your life, in all areas of it. No matter what you're walking through, that your joy might be complete. What one or two is he calling you to be attentive to that you might experience that? So we receive it through the gift of salvation and the presence of the Holy Spirit. We sustain it by any one of those areas that we just talked about. And lastly, we re-gift it when first of all, I share my story. Re-gift it when I share my story. Psalm 119, 111 says, your testimonies are my heritage forever, for they are the joy of my heart. Your testimonies, the, the work that the Lord has done, the things that he has done in my life, that's what I'll be remembered for. You know, all the stuff that I've done you know, is, is gonna be forgotten. 
But the work of God in my life, the work of God in your life, that is your heritage forever. As you pass that on to your children, as they hear stories about mama's faith and daddy's faith, as people see the way that you've walked and the things that you've done, God's work in your life, that is your heritage, the joy of your heart. Revelation 12, 11 says it this way, they triumphed over him, talking about the enemy, by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. Meaning the finished work of Jesus on the cross and the story of what he accomplished in their personal lives. I love that passage, it goes on to say, they did not love their lives so much to shrink from death. See, if I re-gift joy by sharing my story, that sounds relatively easy, but the reality is that is a very dangerous place because it forces me to be vulnerable. Because my story isn't all about good decisions. It's not all about promotion and investment and things aren't up and to the right. Man, I've had some epic failures. Sometimes where I have really dropped the ball, nearly shipwrecked my marriage, made some awful decisions in parenting and with finances. I've wasted years doing things that I thought were good. If I really share my story, it's gonna expose the kinks in my armor. It's gonna reveal my weaknesses. But scripture tells us that it's in our weakness that his power is made perfect. You know, if you sustain joy by finding a great model, it's in sharing your story that you become the model. You highlight your weakness and your brokenness for others to see. You know, what if this tub and the contents in it represented the sum total of your life? And every time you went back to the tub, you pulled out an artifact where you could talk about a season of your life. You know, when I think about Asher's birth, if I were to come over and pull out this, this picture album that Katie made shortly after he was born, it would be easy for me to remember a season of, of fear and stress and anxiety that seemed void of joy. But what I remember that night is a girl named Laura Broach here at the Mount Pleasant campus. She texted Katie about 10.30 to see how we were doing, learned how, uh, just what was going on. And so she gets out of bed late at night, North Mount Pleasant, drives to the hospital, picks up a paper prescription, drives across town to West Ashley to get it filled, waits on it, then shows up at our new hospital with a prescription for Katie and food for me. Come on, somebody. You know. <laughs> the night had turned better, but I'm reminded of the power of one. One person that showed up for us in a time when we really needed it made all the difference. The, the manifest presence of God at work through Laura Broach. That's what I remember when I look back on that season, maybe for you as you go back to that tub, it was a season of brokenness where you felt forgotten and alone, that you experienced God show up for you as your counselor, your comforter, your friend. An unexpected season of unemployment that you got to see God miraculously be your provider. He showed up and provided for you financially in a season of your marriage where relationally you were just busted. But you saw God restore your marriage and make it new, bring back fun and flirty, do something that only he could get the credit for. As we share our stories, it, we, it will re-gift joy into the lives of others, but it's gonna require you being vulnerable. It's gonna require you going back and digging up some stories that might make yourself look bad, but that will ultimately make him look good. And that's what will bring about joy in the lives of others. So I can re-gift it when I share my story. And secondly, I can re-gift it when I sacrifice for someone else's. And I sacrificed for someone else's. You know, our nation was built on sacrifice. Anyone that served in the armed forces in any capacity, first responders, these are men and women who sacrifice their lives daily. I could preach a thousand messages. Have you preach a thousand? Anyone 
that's been a stay-at-home mom for any gift of time and come up and tell us all about sacrifice. But personally, it's not something that, that I love doing. You know, If you were to uh, open my freezer, like I have in the past, when there's one ice cream sandwich left, well, I know my wife is 23 weeks pregnant and she likes ice cream sandwiches. So I reach for it, then I pull my hand back, but then I want her to know I did that. <laughs> hey, babe, there's one ice cream sandwich left. I know how much you like those. I, I left it in there for you. <laughs> Thinking if you want to pack me on the back about now, that'd be good. <laughs> oh, you don't want it? Okay. No, throw down. Give me that ice cream sandwich. <laughs> it can be challenging for us. What does it look like for us to sacrifice for someone else's story? We can do that in a couple different ways. First of which that comes to mind is with our time. I'm reminded of my father-in-law. He came to our house yesterday, asked if he could look through our costumes. And uh, we only have costumes because we have kids, by the way. And uh, it's like, yeah, sure, come look at the... <laughs> Woo! Come look at the... Uh... <laughs> we'll leave that alone. <laughs> um, he's an E3 mentor at the Dream Center. I may not recover from that. <laughs> and uh, he's taking his mentor and his cousin to a costume party next week. And uh, he's giving up his time. Man, he's a high-level leader, has a big job. We've got a large family. He's got a lot going on personally with work, but he gives up his time to make a difference in the life of this kid. At North Charleston High School, the graduation rate is somewhere around 40%, but for those in the E3 mentoring program, it's around 86%. He is making a difference in the life of a kid. He's one of 100-some-odd people. That's something to celebrate that are that are giving of their time to do it. You can give of your time, you can give of your talents. I'm reminded of our car care ministry here at the Mount Pleasant campus. One Saturday a month, a group of guys who are gifted, who have the talent to work on cars. I'm telling you, I will straight up break your car. I don't know why as a dude, when your car breaks down, you get out and open the hood. Like you are gonna do something. I, I don't know. <laughs> if anything, it's like, let it breathe, man. Get the smoke out of here. <laughs> Checking it out as I'm calling the car place. <laughs> I don't have a clue, I don't have a clue, but these guys use their talents. They sacrifice their talents to serve single moms and widows. Women in need who are vulnerable, that could be taken advantage of at a car place, spending more money than they have available. These guys who love God and are talented to, to work on cars will, will fix women's cars at cost. Just the price of parts and all the labor is free. You talk about regifting joy. These women that have had the enemy whispering in their ear, you don't have enough money, you're not gonna make it. If you can't fix your car, you can't get to work. If you can't get to work, you're gonna lose your house. If you lose your house, you're gonna have to pull your kid out of school because you can't stay in the same district. You can just imagine on and on and on these things that would likely never happen, occupying their thoughts and minds, but these guys re-gift joy by using their talents to bless them. So you can sacrifice for someone else's story with your time, with your talents, and lastly, with your treasures. 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 4, there on your outline, says it this way. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. In the midst of a severe trial, an extreme poverty, overwhelming joy overflowed within them in rich generosity to the degree that they gave beyond what they were even capable of giving. How in the world 
Is that possible? I think it's because each of them shared the burden and didn't fall on any one person but on all of the people. All of the Corinthians shared that load. You know, in January of this year, we entered into a season of giving called Imagine. Uh, we planted Seacoast Church 28 years ago, and at the time, there were somewhere around 20,000 people in Mount Pleasant, and now 28 years later, there's over 80,000 people that call Mount Pleasant home. We haven't expanded our facilities here at the Mount Pleasant campus since 1999, and as we entered into this season of Imagine, it was a step of faith for us to say, hey, we want to be their church. There are more people living in the Mount Pleasant area that call this place home that don't know God than there ever have before, and we want to have a place for them. Right now, if you were to attend at the 10 o'clock service here in Mount Pleasant, you could look around and see if you were a family of five. Uh, one of you could sit in the cafe, one of you could sit in the worship center, one of you could sit in the chapel, but worshiping together would not be an option. This year alone, we've had 2,900 first-time guests across all ministries just visit this campus, which is something to celebrate. That is an incredible number. We are reaching people. But man, if you try to get in the parking lot, if you try to get in and worship with your family and it doesn't work so many weeks in a row, chances are you're not coming back. So Imagine was all about us expanding our facilities so that we could be their church. And not only their church, but the church for their children. You know, as a father, our oldest turns 13 years old this week, which I'm excited about and just straight up busted over because I've had a couple situations where I realize as much as I would love to be able to make all of life's decisions for her. She's gonna have to nav navigate a lot of those on her own. And though we've prayed for her, pointed her to God, brought her up in the church, I can't make life decisions for her, but I so desperately want Seacoast to be a place where she loves coming, a place where she'll call home, a place where she can invite her friends, a place where one day her children's would want to come. You know, the only reason there was a seat for Katie and I here at Seacoast over a decade ago is because someone had given sacrificially of their finances. That in a season when our marriage was busted and broken, there was not only a, a seat and a space for us, but a group for us to connect to that we might call this place home and see God do the miraculous in our lives. Our need for the year to expand was $8 million. We needed $4 million to begin construction on the parking lot and $4 million to begin construction on the actual building. And the good news is we've raised $4.5 million and we got a date on the calendar. This Monday, tomorrow, you can roll up in here with cameras, coffee, celebrating because they're gonna begin clearing trees for us to expand the parking lot. So that's something to celebrate, get excited about. And we are, we are committed to not beginning construction on the actual building until we have the full eight million in hand. We've got a board of trustees that have done an incredible job giving us boundaries just to, to be safe uh, with our finances. And so our goal for the end of the year is to raise three and a half million dollars. So when they finish the parking lot, we can begin construction. The building will sit in the front of our building here and take up a bunch of spaces, which is why we've gotta begin construction on the parking lot first, but the opportunity for us is the same opportunity the Corinthian church faced, is to pursue this opportunity with joy. That, there's never been anything we've done as a church that I've been more excited about giving sacrificially to. So we're inviting you to pray over the next week. Next weekend, we're gonna have a miracle offering where we're believing God is going to do immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine. So we invite you to pray about how you might get involved. What would God have you give so that we can have a front row seat and seeing him do something that only he could get the credit for. So I re-gift joy when I share my story and when I sacrifice 
for someone else's, using my time, my talents, or my treasures. You know, if I were to give you a joy assessment today and ask you to fill out a little worksheet, kind of ranking for yourself, one to 10, where are you? Many of you would probably say that you're a six or seven, maybe an eight, and there's a number of things that we talked about today when it comes to sustaining your joy that in a practical way are gonna be very helpful for you. But I know that there's some people here today that are walking through a season of loss or grief that they never would have expected. And as we talk about joy, man, it feels like a punch in the gut because it feels so far out of reach for you. Well, Psalm 34, 18 says that God draws close to the brokenhearted. He saves those who are crushed in spirit. And if that's you today, if joy just feels out of reach for you for whatever reason, I want you to hear and know that God's desire is that you, you may have a fullness of joy. And it's in this season of pain and loss and grief that you're gonna experience him come down, draw close, and lift you up out of that pit. Scripture says that we comfort others with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. In this season of pain and loneliness and brokenness, God's gonna minister to you in a way that only he could. And years from now, he's gonna use this season, this dark and painful season, to be a source of joy in the lives of others. So as we approach this Christmas season, have a heart that is expectant, have a mind that's certain that his desire for you is joy. But the road to get there is gonna start with him encountering you, him ministering to you in a way that only he could. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for your heart, your desire that we would be a people whose lives are full, that we are complete with joy, that when people look upon us, they would say, man, there's something different about him or her, that, that the joy of the Lord would be our strength, that whatever our situation or circumstances, that we would have a lasting joy that wells up within us. God, wherever we are today, I pray that our hearts would be open, that our minds would be attentive of any steps that you would call us to take. God, that we wouldn't have to wait until we get to heaven to experience it, but that we could experience some heaven on earth this Christmas season as we take steps of obedience and surrender to you to experience fullness of joy. May your word not return void in us today. We give you this time of response in Jesus' name, amen.